Welcome to the Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast with your host, Jim Robinson. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to uh, Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast. I'm your guest host, Nate Meyer, Product Evaluation Lead for the Southern Footprint of Rob Seco, filling in this week for Jim Robinson. Uh, in today's episode, we're going to be talking about some harvest considerations for some droughty areas and some areas that had excess rain this year. Joining me today is Chris Lobb. Uh, Chris, can you go ahead and introduce yourself, please? Sure. Thanks, Nate. This is my uh, second time on the Field Ready podcast. I'm excited to be back and to talk about Central Iowa and my territory. So like Nate said, my name is Chris Lobb. I'm a district sales manager for Obseco. I've been at the company for a little over seven years. I cover mainly Central Iowa. I grew up in a small town named Rippey, um, which is almost smack dabble right, right in the middle of the state. And that's in my territory. I grew up on a family uh, family farm and I still farm today. I've, like I said, I've, this is the second family-owned company that I've worked for that, in the seed business, and it's it's awesome. It's great for dealers. It's a great company for customers, and I love the company. Wow, that's great to hear, Chris. Uh, you know, first, thanks for being on with us today. Um, as we know, uh, harvest is going to be soon upon us, and there's been some different weather-related challenges that we've had, you know, throughout the country this year. Um, is there um, some different things that affected your area, uh, let's say central Iowa, northeast Iowa, northwest Iowa, more than we saw in some other areas? Wow, Nate, it's, that's probably an understatement for the weather we had uh, in central Iowa. We had excessive rain. We had uh, time, times of drought. Uh, then we, we had time of extreme heat. And now when, it's, when it all shakes out, we're, we're kind of back to normal on just about every category. But the season started out strange, and I think it did in a lot of areas. Excessive rain, cool temperatures. There were really three different planting dates, especially in central Iowa, with April 15th, which more more of a normal time of planting. Some people did start then. There was a planting date around April 20th, and then the bulk of the corn in central Iowa, at least, went in around the week of May 13th. And even having said that, a lot of planting took place, but the conditions were never great. So there were rains forecasted. So everyone pretty much went, uh, even though the conditions were somewhat borderline. That after planting, then we, we had some below normal temperatures, which somewhat adversely affected uh, emergence and e- even emergence. Then we had um, above normal temperatures from mid-June to about today, which has now brought us up to about, we're right at basically on top of normal for growing degree units. We're a little below on moisture still, and we ha- are, are right on track with normal stress degree days as well. So the season has kind of worked out, hopefully. You can tell where there were very wet areas early in the spring and affected stands. Those areas somewhat soured out. The hot, hot temperatures we had shortly after uh, planting certainly didn't help, kind of baked things open. The biggest thing that's probably happened this year um, are the recent rains that we received, and a lot of the state received timely rains. On our farm in central Iowa, we received about four and a half inches in the last, say, three weeks. So that's obviously going to help finish the corn, hopefully build test weight and add soybeans and hopefully keep the soybeans that we had. But just overall, Nate, I mean, we saw just about everything. We said we had some green snap in central Iowa. We've had excessive rains. We've had no rains. We've had persistent drought conditions. 
And here at the end of the season, we were, a lot of the state was blessed with, with probably the most timely rains you could have. So I guess we'll see what happens when the combines start rolling. Right. And that's one thing, Chris, uh, every year is going to be different. Um, you know, looking at the Iowa regions, like you said, a lot of uh, different planning dates, uh, but pretty much caught up to where you normally are. Uh, still lacking a bit of rain. Um, as I work, I work through um, western Nebraska, down into western Kansas, Colorado there. And unfortunately, that area this year is facing a massive drought. Um, in fact, I've spent the last couple of days out there. And we're looking at um, areas where maybe if they were under irrigation, they were planted on time, that April 15th to 25th planting date. But after that, as they look at their dryland corn, they needed to wait for a rain. And a lot of them didn't get a rain until... Uh, the beginning week in June. Uh, even then, I've talked to some farmers out that way that couldn't get any corn in because um, it was literally too dry to even get their planters in the ground. So as we're looking at that, uh, we're going to have to talk about some different ways that we need to consider how we go after this harvest. Um, obviously, some of those areas that are waterlogged, there's some different considerations. If we have some corn that's been drought stressed, there's different ways we could look at that. So um, is there any ways that as we look at those different kind of areas, basically for you, Chris, um, maybe some more of the waterlogged areas that had excess rains this year, uh, what would be kind of a successful way to go about looking at harvesting those areas? A, pl a plan is important, correct? Uh, no one knows their fields, you know, better than a farmer. And I think you need to take that knowledge, you know, and turn it into a, in, turn it into a harvest plan. Um, Take a fresh look at hybrids you planted. Look at the ratings for stock and root strength. And obviously in these areas where there was excess water or even if there was you know, drier areas, those are important things to look at so you can somewhat predict you know, what that field may be like. Pay attention if the hybrid is a dye and dry product or is it, or is it more of a natural process. Uh, hybrids you know, should never start to die from the top down. If they, de if they do, that's obviously something you want to evaluate um, and pay attention, obviously, to that product. I mean, top dieback in, a lot, in lots of cases is a sign of disease or, or something physiologically going on with the plant. So, you know, if you see that, uh, pay attention to those areas. You know, do the pinch test. Uh, check, you know, check the integrity of the, of the late season stocks. Then prioritize those fields based on the risk that you found. You know, you might want to take out a later maturity hybrid and pay the additional uh, drying versus leaving, you know, six to $7 corn on the ground. Um, so I think, like I said, knowledge is power and knowing what is happening in your fields um, and be able to use that information to set that plan up. We go out and look at corn fields all the time with customers. Uh, I'm happy to do it. I think it's really important. You'd rather find something that may be going on or may there, that there could possibly be an issue down the road now than have them find it when they're in the combine. So it's really important. And we try to do that with a lot of customers. Uh, soybeans, I mean, I think just, you just have to be ready uh, when those soybeans are mature. You know, taking out 12 to 13% soybeans versus a ten, a under 10% soybean. I mean, it's just a huge loss of weight and bushels uh, for your soybean crop. So think being prepared have you know being ready and watch those fields and be in there as soon as you can right no that that's great advice it, it is uh, no way a person can execute without having a plan um, going out there looking at those fields finding out what areas might be more prone to some lodging uh, everything like that helping your customers out 
And, you know, taking a look at our products and even their characteristics and our characteristics chart, knowing that's going to help you get to the products that you need to get. So like you said, Chris, you're not leaving expensive corn on the ground this year. So in a little bit, as we look at this drought prone corn or um, drought stress corn that we have uh, to the West, um, there's a lot of different issues they have to deal with on those now. Um, how bad was the drought in the area? And um, I'll be honest with you, there's some areas where the corn has already been written off. Uh, they're not going to be able to harvest it, but there's some where they've caught some spotty rains here and there. So now they need to figure out what to do with it. So you need to find out, did it pollinate at all? Uh, is it half pollination? Um, did it stay green enough, but died right before black layer for running out of water there? So when you have that, obviously you're going to have lighter test weight on anything that prematurely died like that. So that's something to take into account. Another thing with that, uh, that corn's going to dry it down a lot slower than something that uh, nests naturally. So also for some of those stuff that was more drought prone, uh, they need to decide what they're going to do with it. Is it something they can use for silage? Um, is it something they need to cut, cut and lay down and bale it? Um, you know, even though some of that corn looks like it's pretty burnt up, uh, they still need to check moisture on before they do anything like that. Uh, some of it still could be 70% plus moisture, which is going to be a little bit too early to do any of those. Uh, but one of the first things they need to do is, is talk to their uh, crop insurance agent to find out what their options may be for that um, piece of ground they're farming. So a lot of different um, issues going on this year, just like every year. Um, so uh, very interested to see as we move forward. Harvest for a lot of guys um, is probably start of harvest two weeks away in some areas, uh, looking at the amount of moisture they've gotten and some of their planting dates. Uh, other areas, you know, we're still three, four, five weeks off from them starting. So uh, one of the things when we do get into harvest, Chris, um, what, what's some good things to keep in mind as, as they look at the crop this year and maybe making this some, some decisions for their cropping uh, year next year? Harvest is always that it's that fourth quarter, right? Uh, and there's there's always a lot of excitement buildup. Uh, there's especially a lot of excitement with Rob Seco. Uh, we added, you know, a lot, a, a whole set of new genetics and traits this year. So I know a lot of farmers and a lot of customers, myself included, were really excited to uh, look at the at the future of Rob Seco uh, with the additional of some proprietary products and and other platforms and genetic sources. So really excited, number one, to, to get those test plots out. Can't wait. But like I said, harvest is it's it's when the report card is generated, right? So uh, take notes from the combine. Um, you know, pay attention to how did hybrids and soybean varieties perform in a field, you know, heavy wet, you know, how did it do on that ground? How did the, how did it handle the drought stress, which almost all of my territory and, and pretty much all of Iowa probably had at some uh, point in, in the year. Did it, did it affect stand? Did it affect the yield? Information is, I mean, it's a powerful tool for future decisions. When we sit down um, with dealers and customers, I mean, the more information, the better. Placement is the most important thing that we can do, uh, accompanied with population recommendations. Um, and probably one of the mo more important things that we talk about quite a bit is what are the things not to do? So if we can have as much information, you know, how did, how did products perform on these fields two years ago? How did they perform this year in a different field? Is there a correlation? Can we, can we do something better? Um, you know how so though that information um is incredibly important to make decisions for next year especially with uh 
uh, high commodity prices coupled with high uh, input prices, it's going to be important that you don't make mistakes if you can help it. You know, think about did your herbicide program work? You know, there, there was a lot of spraying that took place this year in corn and soybeans both that, that weren't ideal conditions, but the crop was getting to the stage where, where it had to be used. So it may be, may be difficult to evaluate, you know, how those things worked because it just wasn't a great timing to do those things. Think about next year, um, especially with, with uh, soybeans, you know, did you have escapes? Were you happy with, with what worked? But the other thing that is probably just as important is will there be additional label revisions or restrictions on these herbicides? Uh, if there are, what's the backup plan? Or is there a possible black backup plan with that uh, trait uh, on, for the soybean platform? E3 beans, I mean, it's, it's a, we talk about it all the time. It's safe, it's simple, it's superior. And I've looked at a lot of, a lot of E3 enlist uh, soybean fields this year that just are, are very clean. They didn't have to worry about the restrictions on the herbicide application and the timing. So, and don't have to worry about drift. Uh, so there are a lot of things to think about. Um, you need to evaluate. The other thing with corn uh, is evaluate, are you gonna do corn on corn next year? There's been a lot of talk with customers that I work with and dealers. Um, that work for Rob Seco that there's, there's, a, there's a considerable amount of, of farmers considering going back to corn. So having said that, we always try to um, be on top of what is the beetle count in that field for next year. So we have a, a trapping program, a beetle trapping program that we do with customers um, in the summertime when the hatch is occurring. Again, it's information, you know, at least have a, a really good idea of what the population is like in that field. So did the corn rootworm product work? Well, if you want to go back to corn and it's been multiple years of corn and you, and you expect or know that there's going to be moderate uh, to, to heavier rootworm pressure, I mean, you should go to probably a different trait, you know, you know, turn those traits over, um, rotate those. So you, so you get different uh, technologies out there each year. Uh, we just added uh, a new SmartStacks Pro product, which has the new RNAi RNA technology that if you're in the situation where you're going to plant in the field and it's been multiple years of corn, um, that that could possibly be an option because that's a brand new technology. And hopefully that will, that will help with heavier, moderate to heavier rootworm pressure fields and protect that investment in that crop. Yeah, that's that's great advice, Chris. Obviously, Ed, the, the, the farmer that's out in the field in the combine he gets to look at everything out there and he's finishing up the year. He's going to know which, which hybrids he should be looking at for next year, which ones maybe it's time to pass on. Um, if you're out there, you can see which weeds escape through the year, um, everything like that. And, and, and like you said, the last thing there, um, as we look to the West, uh, heavy rootworm pressure this year. Um, so it might be time to rotate some of those traits. Uh, and if not traits, maybe it's time to look at an ant plant insecticide with, with some of those traits as you rotate it. So um, like we're talking about today, every year is going to be different. So not every year do you expect to be planting corn at the end of May in Iowa. Um, a lot of times to the West, um, there's not times where you're going to find it's, it's too dry to even put your planter in the ground. So as we look at that moving forward, then we got to know what we do with harvest. What areas do we go and harvest first? Um, what do we do with some of this really droughted corn? Um, is it best to bale it? Um, is it best to maybe let it finish and see what, what kind of bushels we can get off that field? 
So um, it's still out to play. Uh, it is only the 1st of September today. So we've got some time to look at that. So hopefully some farmers can get out there, uh, get a game plan going and know what they're gonna be doing. Uh, Chris, uh, thanks for joining us today. And thanks for all the advice you have, uh, not only from the seed aspect of it, but also the farmer aspect. Well, thanks a lot, Nate. I appreciate having the opportunity to be on another Field Ready podcast. And a lot of, a lot of good things we talked about. Uh, you know, farming's an adventure. Uh, but if you have a map to, to guide you in the right direction, it certainly helps, right? So thank you very much. This is Nate Meyer filling in for Jim Robinson. Uh, please catch us on the 1st and 15th of the month for our Field Ready podcast. And until then, stay field ready. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Rob Seco Field Ready podcast. Join us next time to be field ready. A Huda Media Production.